All right, God and work. I thought we'd start off this morning um, with a bit of a quiz, just to get you a little bit warmed up. So the way this is going to work, I'm going to put on the screen in a moment um, uh, a few slides with a little bit of a profile of the individual that I'm talking about, and then you're just going to tell me who it is. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward. Now, there may be more than one answer, but only my answer is correct, as long as we know the rules. Okay, let's start with the first one then. Okay, who might this be? Farmer, rancher, businessman, landowner, investor. Think Bible and think Old Testament. Not Donald Trump. I don't know, is he a rancher? He's everything, isn't he? No. No, no, we're not going there. We're not going straight down the political line. Uh, Think Bible. Who might this be? We had a Jacob down there. Who else? Did I... Well, I'm not getting much of a wave of, of affirmation here, guys. Let's call out a couple of names again. Yeah, I heard Abraham there. Is it Abraham? Yes, it's Abraham. Okay. All right. Next one. Now you're warmed up. We're sticking with the theme of the Bible. Shepherd, house servant, prison manager, government official. Joseph. Is it Joseph? Ding. Yeah, Joseph. Joseph. He had quite a checkered career, didn't he? Uh, next one. Now, here's an interesting one. Civil servant. This might apply to a few, but I've got one in mind, so you're going to have to stay with me. What do you think? Daniel. Yeah, is it Daniel? It is Daniel. Yes, Daniel, who was, who was identified um, uh, on the egg, after the exile. He was identified as one of the brightest and the best of the, the Jewish imports, if you like, and, and set to work, trained and set to work in, in, the, in the court of the king there in Babylon. Uh, next one. And who else? There's a bonus and bonus answers here. Who is Paul working with? It says very specifically that Paul worked with these two individuals because they were also tent makers. There was definitely a woman involved because she's sitting right there by the sewing machine. That's the original biblical sewing machine. All right, let's just show you. Yes, it's Paul and it was Aquila and Priscilla. And that's where we're told it was Paul stayed with Priscilla and Aquila and made tents because that, he, he identified with them in terms of their work role. Okay, and now um, I'm expecting everybody in chorus to join in with this one. Jesus! Yeah, Jesus. Carpenter, Jesus. Interesting thing. Think about this. I mean, Jesus probably would have been apprenticed at, at around, I suspect, around the age of 12. Uh, with his father Joseph in, in the business. We don't know when Joseph died. Scholars think that he died when Jesus was still a teenager. So the chances are that Jesus was probably running the family business then for a number of years. Now, what we know about Jesus is mostly in those final three years of ministry, but the chances are that Jesus spent five or six times longer as a full-time carpenter than he did in full-time ministry. But think about that in terms of his role and how that would have informed what he did in later life. The work that he did, I'm sure, would have brought him, uh, taught him a lot about running a business and about dealing with customers and dealing with people. It's interesting, isn't it? So all of these great uh, patriarchs of our faith, the kings, the prophets, the heroes of the Bible, and even the Son of God himself, all at some point or another, had a day job. And what I'm going to talk about this morning is how I think God views work and how we as Christians might approach work in our, in our lives. Because work impacts all of us. And I mean all of us, apart from perhaps the very youngest who have now left the church. Um, I don't mean that in a 
anyway, yeah. I mean, literally, they've just, yeah. The part from the young who have left us, everybody here is probably engaged in work in some way or another. If you're not in paid employment, then the chances are you're involved in something voluntary, you're working from home, uh, you're working part-time. And I would, although you're going to you know, conjure up images of, of, of hospitals and offices and, and, and schools, uh, and certainly those things are included in terms of what I'm going to say today, I think we've also got to think about work generally. And I include here particularly those who are not in work and who are seeking work. I don't want to exclude those people either because actually, if you think about it, finding employment is one of the hardest jobs there is. And I know that there are people in this church, uh, and I know over the years people in this church who have uh, been unemployed, um, and that is quite a demanding and a stressful exercise. It requires a lot of discipline and perseverance to sell yourself to a prospective employer. So that in itself is a job, and I know uh, it's tough and it's hard work. But the first thing that I want to say is this. Uh, somewhere, and I don't know when, I don't know whether it's over the years, I don't, know, I don't know over the centuries, who knows. But somewhere we've lost, I think, the importance of work as a spirit, from a spiritual perspective. So yeah, we all accept that work is necessary. Uh, it puts food on the table. Uh, it helps to achieve personal goals. Perhaps it's simply there to occupy our time and our minds. But I believe that there is a prevailing attitude among Christians that somehow work is less important or worthy than what we do in church or when we carry on our so-called Christian mission or outreach. And you'll hear people say, I'm sure you have too, maybe you're one of those who say, you know, I wish I was doing something more worthwhile with my life. I, I, maybe, I should, maybe I should be a missionary or maybe go into full-time ministry or uh, maybe work for a charity. As if somehow those things are inherently better or, or viewed by God as more respectable occupations. Work often is something Monday to Friday or Saturday or whatever your work pattern is that we get through. We have phrases, don't we? TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Whoopee, I'm out, I'm free. We complain about Monday mornings and the, the chore of going back to work starts to kick in. Well, I've got news for you. We can't all be Tom Darwin or Jan Ransom. More importantly, and with due respect to those wonderful people, nor should we all aspire to be. Sometimes when people find out that I'm a, a lay minister, once I've explained, spent 10 minutes explaining what that is, uh, I get asked, you know, is that a step towards becoming a vicar? No! <laughs> no! Thrice, no, it isn't. No, I have no intention of becoming a vicar. I've never felt God calling me uh, to be a vicar or a full-time minister in that sense. However, I do think in a very real sense, I am already in full-time ministry. And so are you. So are you. We've somehow created this, this sacred secular divide that doesn't exist in the Bible and was never intended by God. And it may be you're sitting here now uh, in, in a, and you, you're working in a job where you're not fulfilled. And maybe genuinely you're in the wrong place. You may be in the wrong job. And in that case, then change may be necessary. I think um, those of you who are, how many of you are attending the, the Wednesday, the Finding Your Place on a, on a Wednesday night, the course that we're running here? Yeah, quite a few of you. You know, it's, I don't know if you've thought about it, but um, the, the principles of that course in terms of uh, finding your place, using your gifts and your talents, or discovering your gifts and your talents to apply in church, uh, could equally apply to, to what you do 
during the day, thinking, because it's really reflective. It's looking at what has God given us, what skills has he given us, and where can I best deploy them? You might want to consider whether you're learning as much about your day job as your church role. But a lack of sense of fulfillment at work may also be a sign that somehow we're not approaching work in the right way or recognizing that God has put us there for a reason. God is very interested in what we do Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday. Let's look at some scripture. So right from the beginning, we read that God himself works. In the beginning, God created. And when we read about that act of creation, we can see that God made stuff. He made stuff like a manufacturer or a craftsman. He named and categorized what he made, like a scientist. At the end of the day, he reviewed his work like a quality controller. He designed the codependent functions of each element of creation with perfection, like a precision engineer. And he drafted job descriptions for men and women like a good HR director. It wasn't his fault that we strayed off the job description. Let's look at this, Genesis 2.15. What does it say? It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, this, this was before the disobedience. This was before the fall. Because we know, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I often associate, you know, when God has cast Adam and Eve out of the garden and told them they're destined to suffer pain and toil and sweat to feed themselves. So we tend to associate laboring with disobedience and the consequences of disobedience. But actually, this is before it's clear that working the garden was always God's intention for his people. And then in Exodus, we encounter the very first time that God is said to bestow his spirit. The spirit of God came upon a person. And what great spiritual outcome was God looking for? And who was it? Was it one of the greats? Well, let's have a look. Exodus 31, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, and filled him with the spirit of God to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of crafts. So God works, and God blesses us for our work. But here's the key. Here's the key. He blesses us to work for his glory. Bezalel was to make beautiful objects for the glory of God. It was to be an act of worship. And if we turn finally in this section to to today's reading from Colossians that we've just heard, the link between work and worship is, is clearer. What does it say? It says, let the message of Christ... Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, the hymns, and the songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. We were created to worship God at all times and in all places. Whole life worship is what we're called to. If I had a bit more time uh, preparing for this service and not working so hard, uh, I was going to have a couple of signs made for the entrances of the church here. And on those signs it would say, you are now entering a place of worship. Only I was going to put those signs on the inside. Because this is a place of worship, but you know what? It's every bit as much a place of worship when we walk out into the world, when we go to our homes and when we go to our workplaces. So out there is our place of worship, and for the purposes of this morning's sermon, I invented a new word. Yeah, really? No, I did. I've called it workship. 
What are you writing, Stefan? Can we put that one up? Workship. There we go. Do you like that? Yeah, yeah, well, I quite like that. I googled it and, and then I found that a church in Tucson, Arizona had got there before me. But you know, never mind. Never mind. I am claiming it for England and St. Paul. Workship. This is simply the idea that we take our worship into work. And if we do this successfully, it's going to transform us. And it could quite possibly transform our workplaces and the people we work with. Let's just watch this video. Keeping balance right. Dinner, dishes, washing, bed, bath, morning light. Concentrating hard, throwing myself in. Lift my given hands to work and losing touch with what's within. Each day, a gentle numbing. Sunday. Gathered church. Gathered people. Gather myself to worship. Lift my heart. Head up, breathe deep, invite you into the week. Lift my given hands to work and touching heaven as I do. Lift my hands to work and work's an instrument of praise. Your abiding presence filling up my days. Turn my eyes to you and your delight compels my tasks. Lift my heart to worship, lift my heart to bask in your warmth. Even in busyness. I'm stilled in you. When scattered, you're with us. And we are in you. It's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. And if you're thinking, ooh, yeah, now, you're, yeah, now you're imagining your own workplace and going, oh, well, I'm not sure. How, how can, how's that going to happen? That looked lovely. Maybe if I had that lovely kind of harp music going behind me, it might help. I know when we start talking about worship in work or bringing our faith into work, we can get a bit nervous because we immediately conjure up images of evangelizing. And I mean sort of the heavy kind of evangelizing that's led to some of the high-profile media cases, people wearing crosses at work and and making a stand on that, or the whole issue of the bakery uh, uh, and the gay couple. But I want to keep this nice and simple this morning because I want to talk about what the reality of this workship might look like for the vast majority of us. What does it mean to be a Christian at work? And I want to look at three areas uh, where I think we can, we can apply, and I think fairly easily and, f- and straightforward. I'm not saying it will be easy to do, but it's certainly easy conceptually to think about how this might work. And I suppose, in a way, they, they are a progression spiritually, uh, starting with the basics. Let's start with the first one. And the first thing is be a good worker. That's a little bit small, but you can read that. Be a good worker. This is the base camp. This is step one. Uh, I've got a great quote here from Bill Hybels, that great Christian uh, thinker and speaker. How about this? I'll read it out for you. It should never be said of Christians that as workers, they are half-hearted, careless, tardy, irresponsible, whiny, or negligent. Behavior like that embarrasses God. It brings reproach on him. At work, Christians should epitomize character qualities like self-discipline, perseverance, initiative. They should be self-motivated, prompt, organized, and industrious. Their efforts should result in work of the very highest quality. That's quite hard-hitting, isn't it? Why do we think this is? Well, 
You know, when we're at work, we need to remember who we serve. And regardless of what it says in our employment contracts, regardless of how we might divide up the household tasks, as Christians, our ultimate boss is Jesus Christ. And if we want to impress the boss, then we need to elevate our work goals above making money, above status, above career building, above self-gratification, above even simply being happy in our work, and instead make the goal of our work honoring God in whatever way we can. Jesus is the boss, and our workplaces are temples. If you're a teacher, you're not just teaching a class, you're educating young people for God's glory. If you're an accountant, you're not just keeping the books. You're maintaining ledgers in excellent order for God's glory. If you're retired and gardening, you're not just digging up weeds. You're being a steward of God's creation for his glory. Same task, different mentality, different motives. And let's face it, you know, if you want to be effective for Christ at work, you're going to face an uphill battle to convince anybody of the value of your faith if your co-workers see only a lazy, half-hearted, bad-tempered colleague. Paul understood this when he wrote to the Thessalonian church. In 2 Thessalonians, he said, We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. So that's, that's the first thing. Be good workers. Second, and this is where we, we step up and step out. This is the theme of our sermon series, of course. Dare to be different. These are behaviors that will actually mark us out as different in the workplace. And they're things either we, we've, we deliberately choose not to do and get involved in and things that we actively do that may well be remarkable or unusual, depending very much, of course, on your own work situation. As Christians, of course, we've got to strive to be people of integrity. That obviously would include things like avoiding illegal or unethical behavior, but it might also incorporate what we might consider to be petty violations. If your company has a, has a policy on, making, on not making personal phone calls at work or accessing social media on work equipment, that's something that we need to be aware of. Is that something that we are adhering to? Being careless with expense accounts, taking office supplies home, now, I know that that's a tricky one. I, I, I often stay late in the office. Uh, the shops are closed. I'll grab, I'll grab a pint of milk and take it uh, back to my apartment. I'm still living with Anne, by the way. This is when I'm in Germany, just in case anyone... <laughs> when I'm in Germany and the shops are closed and I, I, I take a bottle of milk back to my apartment. Now, I, I don't think that's a major transgression as long as I'm being upfront and honest about it. But I know, and I know as I was writing this sermon, I suddenly thought, oh, I haven't paid for my milk for about a month. Oh, well, you know, big deal. But on the other hand, I don't want that to reflect on me. And I don't want that to reflect on what I, what I am trying to um, project in my workplace as, as a person of integrity. So those are things, you know, we've got to be uh, aware of and conscious of. And I don't know what the equivalent is in your workplace, but, but think that through. And what about the more subtle behaviors that potentially undermine co-workers? What about the, the gossip, the comments, the emails? Things that aren't necessarily downright damaging, but they hurt other people. And you know when you send something that it's a comment on somebody else's work or somebody else's character that you're flagging for somebody else to take notice of. Are you being underhand in that regard? Think about that. Think about how your work life now measures up 
in terms of the behaviors that are noted. And you may have just fallen into the culture trap of working and behaving like everybody else. It doesn't matter what organization you're in, those things happen. And then there are those acts that will typically set us apart from the crowd in a positive way. I mean, let me speak for a moment about my situation in a business setting. You know, the culture of my business, as many of you uh, will know, and many of you will be experiencing yourselves, is, is around the goal of making a profit. We focus on sales, budgets, targets, contracts. Consequently, people are no longer simply individuals. They become headcount, HR resource, human capital. We are defined by performance, by efficiency, by goal setting, by ambition, by compliance. Interaction between team members can then become very superficial, very instrumental. We talk about specific projects, but we don't necessarily recognize the humanity of the person that's sitting across from us. We can hide behind our desks, we can hide behind our computers, we can hide behind our titles. How often is it in an office, those of you who work in an office environment these days, when two people are sending each other emails that could get up and walk across and speak to each other face to face? It's, it's the kind of culture and the kind of uh, dehumanizing environment that we, it's very easy to slip into the way of. But as Christians, one of the most powerful ways we can bring Christ into the workplace is to act out of compassion and love. All those wonderful things that we heard in our reading earlier. You know, this is how we value. Let's put that on the screen, Stefan. This is how we value people, isn't it? It's easy to read this and say, yes, this is the profile of a good Christian. Fantastic. Let's be, uh, let's, let's be clothed in compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive. Put on love. And then we take that coat off again when we go to work. This should be part of our job descriptions as Christians. Imagine how powerful this would be if this was part of your organization's work policy. We can and we should make time to encourage and comfort others. Pay compliments for a job well done. Take time out to take interest in people's personal lives. Ask about what they did at the weekend. Find out about their family situations. If people are struggling, if you can see a colleague struggling to meet a deadline or juggling with, with personal and work life, what can we do to assist? What kind of conflict or argument or, or debate can we get involved in and help to be a peacemaker or help to bring uh, reconciliation? How often in work do we model kingdom behavior? By admitting to mistakes, by seeking forgiveness, by taking responsibility when things go wrong. The things I'm describing sound simple enough in a, in a church setting like this. It's Christianity 101. But it's very hard for us sometimes, I think, to transfer that into the places where we work. And in some cases, let's be honest, this kind of behavior would be treated with a high level of suspicion. And this is before you, you, you're saying why you're doing it. This, this is before anybody necessarily puts a Christian label on you or knows you're a Christian. But simply operating in this mode by acting out of love and compassion may well turn people against you. You're... Uh, your motives will be misinterpreted, might impact your career prospects. But your real boss, your real boss will see and approve of his good and faithful servant. So then the third thing, which I've just called pray and see what happens. Just like that. It's a remarkable thing, prayer, don't you think? Yep, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, remarkable. It's a remarkable thing, prayer, isn't it? Yes, it is. You're still awake. Good. And the most remarkable thing about prayer is that it works. And I'm sure, look, I, I know everybody in here prays, and we've prayed in church, and I'm sure you, we, we, we all pray home. But um, the challenge I have for, for you, for us, and definitely pointing this one back at me, is how much time do we actually devote to praying into very specific work situations? We might make a general prayer about, you know, I pray for, if, particularly if somebody's having a hard time at work, we might put in a, a special prayer for them. But how often do you pray into difficult projects, into specific um, colleagues, uh, how often do you pray blessings over supervisors, managers, bosses, who frankly are awful and you dislike intensely? And department heads whose sole aim in life seems to be to want to make your life a misery. How often do we spend, or how much time do we spend in dedicated prayer thinking about those situations and praying into them? I have to say, um, I'm not very consistent in this area. Uh, there is something inherently hypocritical about standing up here being a preacher. I'm sure you've observed that over the years. Uh, we like to, practice, uh, to, to, to preach. It's not always easy to put it into practice. I know I'm convicted on this particular thing. I often relegate uh, prayer to a shelf labeled, nothing else has worked, so I'd better pray. Uh, but God does keep gently reminding me along the way that I should try it more often, because when we pray, things happen, and doors open, and opportunities arise, and it's, uh, I was going to say it's funny, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say it's funny, or a coincidence, because uh, that would be completely undermining what, what happened last week when I was preparing for this sermon. Uh, I was trying to think of a recent example of where um, I wasn't just sort of doing, if you like, the Christian behavioral stuff or the values that I was describing earlier, but actually, when was the, the most recent time I was actually able to share my faith, oh, excuse me, share my faith with somebody at work, and I was struggling to come up with anything recent um, and then right at the end of the day, there was a woman from the marketing team came up to me. We'd been talking about a project. I don't know, what, no idea what it was now. But at the end of the meeting, she said to me, you're involved with church things, aren't you? I said, yes, yes, that's right. I am, yeah, yeah. She said, well, my husband and I recently had a civil wedding. Uh, but now we want to get married in church. The problem is he's a, he's a Protestant and I'm a Catholic. I don't really know very much about these things. I thought maybe we could have a chat and you can kind of um, tell me what it's all about and, and maybe give me some advice. So that chat is scheduled for this Tuesday. So if you all want to make a note in your prayer diaries, do pray for me on Tuesday. Because, uh, you know, I know that this sort of thing would happen much more often if I prayed a bit more. And I've got this, always this little image now uh, of God peering over my shoulder, whispering in my ear going, you see, you see, huh? It works, doesn't it? Keep doing it. Keep persisting. And that's my encouragement to you. Cover your workplace in prayer because God has a habit of stepping up when we give him a chance. So those, those three areas, th- think about this. I want you to kind of bring this around now and, and, and think of what I've talked about. The three areas of worship uh, or workship uh, I've been describing here, they work together, don't they? And the truth is, if we approach our working lives with an understanding that Jesus is our ultimate boss... And that therefore to bring him glory we need to be good conscientious workers. And if secondly we're prepared to step out and be salt and light in our workplaces by living out countercultural Christian values. And if thirdly we're praying for the people and the situations around us. Then we may just turn our schools and offices and households and hospitals and wherever it is you work into temples. And our God will do amazing things. And you know what else? Because the scary bit then, you've almost passed through 
without even realizing it. And I would suggest to you, you may well find, even though you don't label yourself an evangelist, you may turn out to be an evangelist without even realizing it. Because you know what? If people see you modeling that kind of behavior, see that you're different in a good way, they're more likely to turn to you when they need a shoulder to cry on, when they want to celebrate a success or something important in their lives. They're more likely to trust you with personal confidences. And they're more likely to ask you why you are as you are. And then a door opens for God to pour out more and more blessings through your ministry. I'm going to close here. In a moment, we're going to, we're going to have a song response. If the team could, Pete, could come up and, with the guys and, and we'll, we're going to have a song. I want you, while we're singing this song, as you're thinking about the words that you're singing... I'd like you, I'm going to pick up on what Tom said earlier. After the song, we're going to have a response time. And the response time is really very simple. The exercise is to say, this time tomorrow, what will you be doing? Where will you be? Many of you will have a, a, a sort of standing meeting or call, a place where you, on a Monday morning you always are. There's always a particular thing that happens. So don't, I don't want you to necessarily spread this out through the year or the week. Be specific. If you need to stretch it out to what you do on a Monday, that's fine. But in general, we need to provide, I believe, more support for our working lives here in church. I think we need to, we need to raise it more. We need to be more transparent. We need to acknowledge that these things that we're doing tomorrow are worthwhile, that God is interested and God wants you to be his ambassador in those places. He wants the workship. You don't necessarily need to divulge a lot of information here. This isn't going to be a, a mini-sermon. But you might just want to think about how you would respond. Where are you? Who are you dealing with? If, the, if there is a particular scenario or situation that you're dealing with, by all means, you could mention that. But it might just be, I'm going to be in my usual department meeting tomorrow, which usually goes on for about an hour and a half but feels like three days. It's going to be terribly boring. Help me to, you know, I really would love a way to find that, to, to, to get more out of those, uh, th that situation. Just, uh, or there's a guy that's been really irritating me for the last few weeks. Let's pray for that. So whatever, have a think about what that is. And then when we sung, Tom and I will, will lead that, that response time in prayer. <coughs> Feel free to stand or, or sit or whatever you'd like to do. I will offer up my life in spirit and truth, pouring out the oil of love as my worship to you. In surrender, I must give my I was 
words could not tell, not even in part, of the depth of love that is owed by this now is we're just looking to get a flavor of the sort of things that we'll be doing this time tomorrow so whether it's paid work or something at home or voluntary work or with friends whatever it is we just would like to just get a flavor in a sentence what will you be doing and what is one thing we could pray for so we get an idea of the sort of issues and challenges we're facing and then jeff and i would just love to pray uh, for for most of those things briefly in response okay so does that Please make do sense? sit down do those take your seats and just put your hand up if uh, you wanted to share in a sentence what you're doing this time tomorrow so i'll be having a regular meeting with the leaders in my business um over lunch at a nice hotel um but one of our leaders has just left my business and there's a lot of challenges about how we respond to that with love rather than fear I will be creating a sunset that is very strugg- I'm struggling with, so if you could pray for the colours for me. That sounds very godlike. <laughs> Marvellous. Artist. In case you didn't know, G 